Welcome back, perfect peeps, to perfect.dev. Today, we are teaching others to code lessons learned with Prince Wilson. Hello, Prince. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hi. Uh, Prince is a full-stack developer based in New York City, the NYC. He currently works as a software engineer at Nucella, an online education platform, and previously worked at Flatiron School. He may also be known for his love of corgis. <laughs> Perhaps on the corgi Discord once or twice? Once or twice, you know. Maybe. That's fair enough. A day. <laughs> <laughs> as, as you know, Coding Cat Dev, uh, it's all about teaching developers to code. So I love this, uh, this topic, especially on the lessons learned side to it. Absolutely. I think it's just important to talk about it from both like the side of like learning. I think we talk a lot about like the learning process for folks, but it's also like, how do, how do we teach? Like, how do we learn all those things? You know? And how do you learn to be a good teacher too? Mm. That's, that's the toughest part. I think uh, when, when you go down this path. And what do you learn from teaching? Like there's yeah. so many different aspects. Yeah. Great point. Um, so you started out by teaching others to code, like in the in-person boot camp. Have have you said? Would you say that that's changed a lot, or what's the biggest like reason or benefit of attending a boot camp? And what is that experience like when you teach? Um, yeah, that's that's like, a great. There's question. a lot there to unpack. Sorry, no, that's totally fine. So like, uh, so I studied computer science in university. Uh, my biggest thing with like studying it in university takes time energy uh you go over a lot of different things than you do like in a traditional like field of like software engineering and that comes with you know benefits because you learn some concepts about programming and like why it works but i think specifically about like the bootcamp experience it's also beneficial because of the fact that like you're getting to learn the direct skills that work on the job you get to practice that and you get to work with other people who are also learning that which i think is a, a, a core essence to really the learning process no matter which way you take it whether it's through a boot camp university or even self-taught is having a community i think that's the the most important thing for any learner is to have people who are also learning or people you can learn from I completely agree with that. Yeah, community is a big thing when you're learning, like just the other people bouncing ideas off of, talking through problems. Like, yeah, community is huge. Um, I taught at university for a couple semesters. And what I found for me and the takeaway was that the the students there seemed like they were really just eager to get a grade and move on. And I feel like when you go through boot camps, it's either individuals that have been out in industry in something completely different, a different field, or, um, you know, they're just getting started and they're so much more laser focused and they want to learn instead of just get a grade. Is that kind of what you've experienced too, or uh, maybe different? So working at Flatiron School, we didn't do grades. Um, like we don't have, the concept of grades didn't exist, which like comes with its own benefits and trade-offs. Um, the, the biggest thing that you kind of emphasize, emphasize though, is that, that people are coming in for a grade. And I think that that's actually like a drawback of like education systems as a whole is like, unfortunately, like most of like learning happens through the gatekeeping of you must pass this class in this way. And I think like that is what kind of shapes people's like focus on like, I need to get to the next step because they think that each step is something blocking them from where they want to go as opposed to each step helps them learn something. And I think that's like what the difference can be in a boot camp is when you like remove these kind of barriers you're kind of saying like cool here's like how everything builds up to each other mm -hmm. and the same is also true when you go to self-taught is like the only drawback is when you're in a self-taught kind of like process you have to figure out that path and that yeah. can be really hard to do mm -hmm. it's like it's not to say that it isn't worth its time and energy it just looks different and requires different support networks that is such a great point about the grading system. I feel like it, it does like shape the way that you learn in a way like you're just worried about your test scores and how you're going to do instead of worrying about what you're learning and actually learning from that. Yeah, I completely agree. What about the cost of boot camps and going to online school? Do you think that drives people or do you think it sets some people back where they don't want to do that? I think cost is a big reason to avoid a boot camp for many reasons most people cannot afford to go to a boot camp paying mm -hmm. out of their own pocket i think uh sim it's kind of like similar to 
hate using this as an analogy, but it's uh, it's kind of true. There's like unpaid internships. Like there's opportunities where you don't get paid. Uh, you still learn these things. Um, but like that's a huge trade off, right? Like you're not getting money. And like yeah. in a bootcamp experience, even though you are getting like this kind of hyper focused experience, this is time you're not earning money. And that, like that, you have to be able to understand like how to prioritize for your life. And a lot of people who I had the opportunity to teach, you know, they have their own families that they're trying to take care of. They, ha- they don't have the benefit of like not having an income. And so like, it's, it's a really hard suggestion for any dimension that you try to take it. Yeah. I think if you break it down to like dollars and cents specifically, if you look at a, a four-year degree or, or something along those lines, you're talking 40, 50, 60, 70 grand, whatever that number is. And it's massive. And I always look at that compared to a boot camp, which is, I don't know. It depends on what boot camp. I mean, it could be anything from $500, $1,800 to two grand. Um, and it's usually anywhere from like three months to a year and a half, like whatever that number is. Um, but it's much less than going through that collegiate path. And if mm-hmm. it gets you the same job coming back out, like maybe that is a much better time to time to dollar ratio. I don't know. It might even get you a better job because there's more like real life skills there. I feel like than some colleges are so a four year degree. I mean, in four years tech, it looks very different. So. Yeah. I very yeah. much agree. Uh, I think like this is like internally, like I always, I always was asked like, Oh, would I like go back and like do a boot camp instead? And I honestly don't have an answer to that. Cause I was very fortunate that even though I studied computer science, um, it wasn't like that degree by itself got me what I needed to know. It was the community I surrounded myself that really helped me and shaped mm-hmm. my experiences with figuring out what is the things I need to know? Like what is actually going to benefit me and like building that kind of connection of folks, which once again, like when you're in a bootcamp experience, you're surrounded by people who are trying to do exactly the same things as you in the same experience. So as they progress, you're progressing and you could have like a, a network of people who already know your background. Yeah, you did like a coding, oh, what was it called? Like a hackathon thing, nights. What's your the name of your? Yeah, so I did a university hackathon called Night Hacks. So the it's like a collegiate university. So we, uh, sorry, collegiate hackathon. So we take a bunch of different universities in the state of Florida, and we all come together for like twenty four to thirty six hours to build projects. It's crazy. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And is that part of the community that you're talking about that you got? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's so awesome when you find things like that. So you've been streaming on Twitch for a while now. How do you find live coding and how does that differ teaching wise from live coding to like doing like a boot camp or something else? Um, I come in with a lot less preparation. Uh, that's like <laughs> yeah. my, my biggest thing. Uh, one of my favorite parts about teaching in like a boot camp is like the that experience was very good in like one taking questions and feedback in real time and like being able to say like, oh, you know, like how do we test our theories about how something works and that was like really awesome because i could basically be like here's like what i have in my head but then like as we're going through the lesson like shape it to meet people's needs and catch check in very easily i feel like with live coding on twitch there's a lot less like opportunity to do that check-in which is really hard Uh, but i'm also using it in a way to show my own learning journey so like as i'm learning something there are other people who already know. So it's kind of like a big mob programming kind of thing where we're all like building it together. And I like that at least. Yeah. And that makes sense. And it's almost when you're doing a boot camp, you kind of have an outline going in. Do you do an outline when you do live coding or do you just kind of go in with, I want to do this one thing and that's it. I think, I think when I'm like doing a directed like thing like if i'm saying like this is the thing i want to be able to do by the end of this stream i do have a somewhat of an outline but for the most part i have no predetermined work that i do beyond like checking in with myself and be like do i have the mental capacity to know like what i'm about to do and am i comfortable being able to not know because i think that's like a to me at least is like a big thing about twitch is like it's totally okay to also not know something yes. i feel comfortable being like all right, let me just like figure it out. And there are other people also who like can step in. I feel like that's a really good point too, that it's okay to struggle and showing people that it's okay to not know that how to look it up and how to figure it out themselves is really good. Yeah. One of the most important skills I'd say for like teaching in general is like absolutely normalizing, not knowing everything. Cause I I don't know about y'all, but there are many times where I have to look up 
something at oh, yeah. some point. Every day. Exactly. <laughs> Seriously, every day. Google is my friend. <laughs> you have to know how to ask the right questions. And I think that, like, yeah. that's a skill that is so overlooked in like the learning of programming. I, I yeah. think that that's interesting too, because I think that's a skill that is, it's not talked about often enough that right. when, when you don't know something, here's how you can learn how to go find it. And teaching that skill is so much more valuable than just knowing. Like, it's great if you know things, but learning how to go find that, it's massive. I often call people that are really good at that, they're diggers, right? Like they can go dig yeah. out and find the information that they need to, to yeah. pull out from what they're missing. And it's often like, I don't expect you to remember that thing you wrote five years ago, but how can you go back and like go to the GitHub repo, go dig through this and find it? And there you go. So I think it's it's very important skill that is often very underappreciated. And I think a really good example of that is in interviews when you go mm-hmm. into them and they're like, what's this very specific command? And you're like, really? Like, mm, is, is yeah. that necessary? Or could I show you how I'd Google to find that command? <laughs> And I think that's how interviews have to get better. I think yeah. like uh, there's like a lot of conversations around like how how to interview in technology. But I think like I think it's just sometimes dishonest to like say like oh I just like know everything about this particular <laughs> API. Like no, you're not gonna do that. And if I didn't know, like you care about the skills of being a programmer, not just like the knowledge that I have. And like yeah. how do we showcase that is like what I believe is important for the interview process. I think that's totally true that the interview process needs to adapt a little more, especially to like these self-taught people and worrying less about those four-year degrees and or a boot camp, whatever it is. But I, I think you're right. I think that that needs to be something that's more focused when we're teaching is to say, how can I word this to figure out where it's going to be at? Where can I find it at? So how do you think that live coding differs from an online learning platform? And then between that and like the boot camp, how are all those different? I'm, I would say like, at least with the live coding to like a boot camp or an online program um the the biggest thing that is different is that it's happening in real time and you can engage with the person doing it then in real time like even in life programming like you couldn't there's a lot of people actually who do kind of like do the teaching experience directly online through twitch as the medium by which they like do their online school um i know that part of the work that i want to say leon uh they have a twitch channel that they do every tuesday um mm-hmm. actually i think it's almost every day now that i think about it but i just happen to catch them on tuesdays because we do it the same day <laughs> um they spend all their time teaching people how to program directly through twitch and so like they have like a more like process based like this is what we're going to do this time uh, this is like what we're going to cover and there here's like the homework and it's all like free access to all That's their cool. information it's almost like an online boot camp yeah exactly yeah and Sweet. i think like that's like Twitch and like these platforms for live coding, like they afford the opportunity to, to engage with people who are outside of the profession or like in, outside of like that particular school or network, whatever, um, and be able to talk to them and engage with that kind of process. Whereas like an online curriculum, they might have dedicated times where they will only do these particular recordings. They might have access to past recordings. Um, they might have more like, they might have more resources in general, but I don't think that they're ultimately that much different, but the quality is always what I think makes difference. Like the pedagogy. So how can these online platforms like Udemy and things like that, that offer courses, and we're going to do the same thing on coding cat. So how can we provide that sense of community and the sense of live action that you get from like Twitch and things of that sort, or like an online boot camp type thing? That's a great question. I think for the most part to giving like the sense of community, I think is like creating spaces where people can interact is like important. What Whatever you might choose that to be, that could be something like Discord, that could be Discord, something like a yeah. forum, um, like all those kinds of ways where people can engage with one another as they're learning. That's like what I believe is the sense of community. Twitch, you know, it's just like a platform where we all happen to get together and we chat and we have like conversations about what's happening then. But it's like, what happens after that? 
Yeah. I think that's where that the sense of the community goes in. Maybe it's also like through Twitter, if people are on Twitter um, or like other social media platforms where people can just chat together and like be able to share their journey. That's why yeah. I tend to talk about Twitter is because like it's such an easy way to be like, they, it originally like, was around like microblogging, right? So like, I'm just like talking about what's going on. Like this is me learning. That's kind of how I use it as well. And you can come in it whenever you have the time. And so even though the courses may be pre-recorded, you may be able to find someone else that's going through the course at the same time as you and find that community. And yeah, I love Discord for that. So same. that's a really good point. And Twitter too. I mean, I like Twitter. Um, I don't use it so much for learning, but the dev community on Twitter is fantastic. So I have noticed that you've been doing a lot of Rust lately. So what drew you towards that language and what are kind of some of the benefits of the language? I love talking about Rust. <laughs> I think for for me, my like first language was in C. Uh, so like that was the first time I ever programmed. C is like a, a low level language that like most most things that most tooling that we use today have have some connection to C. Mm -hmm. um, do Do you mind me asking, like, at what level did you learn C? Was it in grade school or? Oh no, it's all at university level. Oh, okay. Uh, so I, that I never had the opportunity to learn programming prior to university. Um, well, I guess I should, that's a, it's, I guess what I should say is I had the opportunity. What happened was I was like, I want to go be a video game programmer. And my uncle was like, here's this book on video game programming. And it was all in C sharp. I'm like, this is too hard. <laughs> um, very, very challenging C sharp, uh, you know, at the time when I got it, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to read this. I'm going to put this away. But then I came back to C and C at like a university level. They're just like showing you how things work. But then it kind of incrementally gets much more and more challenging because of the nuance of how C works. Anyway, past experiences of C, I was like, I never want to write this code code ever again. Same. <laughs> that was basically where I landed on that. Not to, to bash anyone who writes C nowadays for their profession. Like, love it. Do yeah. you. <laughs> I, but I wanted something that, like, afforded me the same ability to write those types of programs, but was a lot easier to write and felt more ergonomic to what I've been experiencing now on the web. And that's kind of what drew me to Rust. Okay. There were other people who were also doing a bunch of Rust stuff, too. And so it, it felt kind of natural almost to be like, we're all like learning it together. I can learn from other people while I'm also doing that. And so that's kind of what, what yeah, drew that me. Brings that community back into it again. Yeah. And so what caused, it had a huge surge last year, it feels like. So what caused that popularity increase, do you think? I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. I think it's like, I think it's relative to every, every tool kind of like, building out technology with Rust. For instance, like uh, a big proponent and big kind of like advocate for Rust were some of the big companies such as like Mozilla. Mozilla has a big uh, kind of like, Mozilla was really invested into Rust and how it kind of formed in addition to like how it builds with um, the CSS processing that they have. So like they okay. built like a whole tool for that. And that's what a big set part of the community came from. Mozilla had a bunch of layoffs, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But now they are in two different companies. And like that is kind of like sparks more surgeons. And so like all these different companies now are having all their Rust engineers kind of realizing, oh, we can actually like get a lot of benefits out of that. And so, yeah. Is there like a performance benefit to it? Because it's lower level, right? It's a little bit lower level than something like JavaScript. And so it's closer to machine code. Is that what makes it? I mean, is it a little faster or? Yeah, I would say like uh, there's a there's an advantage of it being faster. There's an advantage of it being more memory safe. So like a big thing about like JavaScript is I can write things that shouldn't happen, I guess, is the best way to put it. It's yeah. Like, things that are undefined or null, like those kinds of states don't exist inside of Rust that is like undetermined. Like I can predetermine like how should I write this code such that like these states won't occur. Um, that's partially due to like the type system that it has. That's okay. a big difference to like something like JavaScript because there's no types like, or yeah. it's not type safed rather. Is it strongly, a strongly typed language? Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Yes. That makes sense then. Yes. And um, Toast is a newer framework that is on the in the Jamstack space, and it's re- been rewritten in Rust, right? He started, uh, Chris Biscardi wrote this in JavaScript originally, and then rewrote it in Rust, correct? Yep. So, I mean, why switch? Is it just those benefits, those performance benefits that we talked about? Or, like, what is the other reason to take that? I think, like, there the biggest things are performance benefits. The big thing is also the, the type safety. So you get to basically say like, here are these kind of, uh, here are these expected types. Here's like this strong way of parsing everything together and putting it in such a way that you can like now know for certain, like this is going to work. Or if it comes to a case when it shouldn't work, it's going to be able to be stopped. And that's like JavaScript is kind of like more challenging to kind of put these guardrails in and Rust mm-hmm. kind of affords you out of the box that kind of this benefit. The performance uh, difference is also fairly significant. Yeah, um, That's just due to like the nature of like having more control over like how things are broken apart. Like that's just what Rust can give you kind of i guess that's the best way of putting it i don't think it's yeah you have to write every tool in rust but if you (laughs) are considering like um ergonomics if you're considering like how do i you know continue to build this there's a big uh push also for Rust to be compatible with the web so like uh, like Mm -hmm. for instance a big thing right now is web assembly and that's like another kind of tool to the toolbox is like as we keep developing more rust stuff we get to build onto the platform more and everything becomes like more supported so how is Uh, it different from typescript sorry (laughs) that's a great question um i actually don't think i have the best answer for that it's a good question that's okay Um, yeah i was just wondering because one of the benefits is the strongly typed language so why not just pull in typescript i was just wondering i mean you still get the performance benefits and it may feel easier to write so maybe I, I do want to read this this snippet from Figma because I, yeah. I feel like everyone everyone kind of knows Figma and actually a lot of their stuff is is written in WebAssembly, but mm-hmm. they they went from um, TypeScript in their multiplayer syncing and they switched that over to Rust because of performance reasons. I just want to read this like snippet out of their their blog. So it says, "We chose Rust for this rewrite because it combines best-in-class speed with low resource usage while still offering the safety of standard server languages. Low resource usage was particularly important to use because some of the performance issues with the old server were caused by the garbage collector." Oh, so okay. I think that that tells a nice story around kind of TypeScript versus Rust and kind of what's occurring there. Yeah. I think it, it really is beneficial, like when you start to scale it out. So with memory allocation and garbage collection, it probably does a much better job than JavaScript does. And even TypeScript, like adding that doesn't give you those benefits. Yeah, I, I have no idea how the garbage collector works with TypeScript. Uh, like in JavaScript land, like it just kind of says, we're going to do whatever we're going to want to do. <laughs> like it's, it's like, fine. I don't know if there's anything that it does as far as optimizations now that there are types. And I think that's like a big, um, that's kind of what I'm, I, I'm not a big TypeScript person. Um, I just don't, I don't like it. I think the biggest reason why I don't like it is it's an addition to a language as opposed to being part of the language. And yes. I think that's where like my drawbacks come from. And that's, you know like typescript has to solve for the fact that javascript exists whereas rust does not rust exists with the existence of types and that's kind of where i see like the difference the most so if if we were kind of like you're you're kind of starting to get into this rust journey and if we circle it back around to the main main subject of teaching others to code and, and lessons learned um, when you start to apply that back and say, okay, I'm about to like start teaching Rust. Mm. I know I've fallen into these other pitfalls on my courses or other work. What are, what are you going to take into that like Rust journey where um, you're going to like build a student up from scratch? What are those kind of some of those learnings that you've had to go through over the years? Is it you know, outlining and creating your first base course and then working up to advanced or what does that process kind of start to look for you, Prince? That's a great question. I love these. This is phenomenal. I think like one of the things that I was very fortunate to be able to do with like a bootcamp experience is we we did dedicate time to actually learning pedagogy and the science around like 
learning and this teaching and whatnot. Um, and so one of the things that I think about a lot more when I like talk about like the learning process for code is thinking about like, what's the outcomes that I want somebody to have um, and thinking from like an outcome perspective, like how do I draw from like, these are the skills and these are the things that they need to be able to use and figure out like, how do I carve that journey? What are the tools that they need to have such that they can have like those kinds of outcomes? How do you, how do you get like further into that feedback loop too, though? Like once you release a, a course or if you're doing kind of an online thing and you're like, all right, I think, I think they're going to get this and you actually get feedback like, well, you lost me on like the second lesson. I'm so far gone right now. How do you, how can you tell the difference between a person that's just, it's too much for them and they shouldn't have jumped in versus like someone who's actually at that skill level and what you put together was just not correct. Do you go back and rework that whole thing? What's that look like for you? I haven't had that experience in an online platform. So I'm not, I'm very curious to learn more about like, how to get that feedback. Mm-hmm. I think like those are the those are the things that I think all online platforms are trying to figure out right now. Yeah. It's like how to get that feedback. Mm-hmm. What is the what's the signal that's saying somebody's lost here? And that's really hard to do in an online course, I think. Partially because like being lost um it is kind of nebulous, right? Like is that yeah. when somebody stops looking at some videos? Is that they're watching these videos multiple times? What kind of like th- signals are there? And I think for the most part like the, the biggest thing that we have right now is just like the comment section of something. It's like, mm-hmm. that's like where we get it or we get directly to ask them that feedback. So some places are also putting like, um, kind of like, how did this work for you? Like kind of like more like thumbs up, thumbs down kind of videos and be like, give us more. Um, yeah, I feel like the whole like thumbs up down, it never works for me because I'm like, did you not like the video? Did you not like the course? Yeah, what did you not did like? You not, like? What didn't you like? And I that's that's a feature that we want in Coding Cat. And that's why I keep driving like back to it. And I'm like, how do I know other than like drop off rates? Like we can mm-hmm. do that, but that could be something too. How do we actually engage the community enough to say, did you get what you were looking for? How can we do better going forward? So I I have some thoughts on that as well. Um, one of the ways that we talk about in, in school and like in pedagogy, again, um, is the only way to know if somebody has a mastery of something is to do some sort of assessment on it, right? So like having even like a low stakes, like kind of explain this thing in your own words, um, maybe that's like an opportunity, maybe it's more optionally like kind of things where people can do a thing. So you can at least know like, hey, this is helping you to check in. Do you understand this concept? Um, And come back and be like, all right, let me like go backwards to it. Sometimes you see that as like flashcards. Sometimes you see that as like multiple choice questions. And I know that seemed like that seems like schooly, but like there's actual science around why that's helpful. And you can, you can like, you can actually point to like, oh, I learned this thing because I started asking myself questions before watching the video or after watching the video. And this is like how you deepen that mastery. That is, makes a fantastic point. Yeah. It, you do, you, do you do that like through a, a, like quizzing or like how do you how do you pull that out? Is that? Yeah. So like sometimes that that in in person experience that is like kind of like quizzing. I, you, you kind of the big thing in like. I have so many thoughts in this. <laughs> it's this is great. This is what we want to talk about. Perfect. Yeah. So like in-person experiences and online experiences are two slightly different experiences. And it's really hard to do one set of things in the in-person experience and then something in the online experience. Mm-hmm. I think it's really difficult. But one of the things that helped in the, in the in-person experience was like giving the opportunity to ask like self-assessing kind of questions. Things that, you know, you as the educator, you don't need the answer on like how they do, but this is to help them understand like themselves. And so they can at least be motivated themselves. And that's a strong indicator for success as well as the self-motivation to getting better, Um, like giving them more opportunities to ask these kinds of questions, like gives them the motivation and also understanding what do they not know? Because they need to be able to answer that, not you. Um, Yeah. And that's like 
it's it's one of those things. Yeah, quizzing not for a grade, but quizzing to make sure that you understand the concepts that were learned. And that was something that I was actually going to mention is that when I was doing online, I'm a self-taught. So when I was doing these online courses, something I felt like was missing was those quizzes to make sure that I understood. And sometimes they had here, go off and do this on your own. But it wasn't like in front of me. It didn't force me to like do this. And even if it was there without like giving you a grade, you make sure that you understand that concept before you move on to the next. And I feel like that's a really good point. Something that we could include that would drive usership. Like people would learn more and understand yeah, just, those concepts better. Yeah. Not even like driving the usership but making sure that user is getting what they need out of it. Right? What they, yeah. Right. What they want yeah. and what they need out of it. Yeah. One of the things, Oh, I'm sorry. I think it would be useful, like when when we go through like that quizzing piece, and I hate calling it a quiz. So whatever you want to yeah. call that thing, and it says no, that wasn't quite right. Go and then like direct them back to where that material actually was presented. I think that's always the best case. Like no, we're not failing you. We just wanted to see. Did you get it? No, exactly. Okay, here it is. Right? That sounds great. And that's such an important thing to talk about. Like a self assessment is not a, a failing right? Like you are trying to determine what things you need to go back to review. Uh, mm-hmm. And like one of the things that like one online platform I know that is doing this really well, I mean, I'm kind of biased because I participate in it, uh, egghead.io, the one thing that they're doing is taking a lot more um, knowledge around like pedagogy and thinking about like, okay, how do we make sure we're coming up with the right objectives that we want for each of our videos? Like what are the things that somebody should be able to see out of those? I think like that's really important to setting up the, the kind of map and journey that you want somebody to have is like to know like here are the skills you should be able to point to here's how that translates into the video here's how to apply those sorts of things yeah that's really interesting and um on egghead do they walk you through that process for an author when when an author comes in to start teaching is that a, a thing or is that like just kind of an expectation for someone getting started there is uh, education for like how the the kind of process for egghead works. I believe even to the same point of like making sure people know like what is the what does egghead look like? What does that what are what are the what's the point? I th- that is yeah. something that we're walked through. Yeah, yeah. We we keep kind of going back and forth, Brittany and I, and like here's we have to teach the teacher, right? Like that's the biggest thing that we need to get into and make sure like they can flow with with our kind of consistency. Not that we won't, that's what this talk's all about. We're going to have lessons learned as we go through that. But the better we can build the teachers, I think that will help the students and the feedback loop will continue. And hopefully we just keep getting better and better. And like maybe it's just starting small with smaller things. I, I will admit this is like, a hard thing to do the teaching the teachers bit is the hardest part i'd say yeah um so like figuring out what is like pedagogy and like thinking about those kinds of processes fancy word for just like learning that's what i was gonna say i actually had to go look it up because i didn't know so pedagogy is the method or practice of teaching especially as an academic subject or theoretical concept so very fancy word for learning how to teach yeah very fancy word that's all it is but there's a lot of great things in there that I think is crucial to becoming an educator. Cause I think uh, the, I think one of the ways that we kind of look at like how to teach somebody in programming is kind of like, t- I have this knowledge and I'm just going to give it to them. Like I'm just going to yeah. take my knowledge and how do you do that? <laughs> just straight into their brain download. <laughs> and unfortunately it does not work like that. Sometimes you might have to repeat things several times. There's like a lot mm-hmm. of different skills in there and like, that's what I go back to again with like how the education system failed us. Ooh, spicy. Um, <laughs> I just think that, I think that the education system kind of said like, you're this type of learner and this is the only way you'll learn yeah. instead of saying like here you learn in multiple ways and di- in like multiple different ways you have to put those together. And sometimes hearing it several times kind of reinforces it for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a great point because, um, to, to kind of get back to the, okay, I'll just lay it all out there. When I, when I went through my, my grade school, right. I barely paid attention. I'm like, I'll just figure this out later. It's not that important. 
<laughs> I, got, I got to the university and I'm like, wow, I'm completely lost, like mm-hmm. fumbling around. I have these art classes and this reading and writing classes and like all this stuff. I'm like, I don't want to do any of that. Why, why do I have to go through this? So I you know, barely went to class again. I think I got like just under a three point. Whew. And by the end of that, I'm like, man, that was rough. Like this, this whole thing, I just want a job. Like that, the whole time I'm thinking, how do I get through this to get a job? And finally coming out of that, I was able to get a job. I don't know how, but I, <laughs> obviously with three point, you shouldn't be getting amazing job that I did. But I think they saw something in me that maybe I didn't. And then that spark kind of was there. I was like, huh, I'm going to try this master's thing. And luckily, the company I got into was like, hey, we'll pay for your master's. That's that's no problem. And so I start master's and it's like 4.0 because I have a clue of like what's going on. And it's, I think it's finding that that very core of it, like, do you know what you want? Can we help you find what you're looking for? Because maybe you come in like you did, Prince. You're like, I want to be a game developer. Well, do you want to be a game developer? Let's talk about what that really means. Oh, you kind of want to be more of an illustrator or a designer. You don't want to be a game developer. Or that person like down deep in the database is like, oh, I actually want to be a DBA. I don't want to be a game developer. Like there's so many nuances and layers to this that I think you have to go through some of these self-learnings. And if we can even express that through some of our teaching, I think it would be so beneficial. And I like, I I lay awake at night, just all this stuff going (laughs) through my head. How can that Alex of like, 20 years ago or whatever figure out his path easier how can we make that next generation easier and i i get like it's it's some of the process that we have to go through but like if we can kind of keep getting that out of people i think it's going to be huge yeah i remember back in grade school they would give us these things that were basically personality quizzes and tell you oh you may want to be this thing because you're this type of personality right. like that did nothing <laughs> so right. we need to figure out like how we can teach our young people to figure out what they want. And that's hard when you're a teenager even, but I, yeah, I feel like just more opportunities to learn different things. STEM in schools is huge. So the the follow-up to that. And I think this was the most important lesson for me, at least is that even if you decide early on, you can change it and it's, it's not going to be catastrophic. Um, I think going into school, I always felt like, oh, I need to like know what my path is. Like I have to know. It has mm-hmm. to be this path. It can only exist in this way. Um, and I learned that I have so much more control over that. And like as long as it brings me joy, that's pretty much all. That's kind of yeah. my, my motivator. I love that because I was scared. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to go to college yet. So I ended up doing online school a few free a few years later, but I was scared to go straight into college because I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. I need to know. And I don't. So mm-hmm. I'm going to wait. And I mean, that's that totally valid. Was, it's valid, but maybe it hurt me in the long run, too. So it's, you know, it's kind of one of those things you just but, don't know. And I really yeah, like I Prince's point about like finding the joy. Like maybe that's what it took you to figure out, you know, and find your joy spot. So like yeah. that's that's really key. Um, I, I think we often hear, I, I assume many people have heard Steve Jobs' story, right? Like when he's going through college and he sits down in a, a, like a type class and now all of a sudden like Apple computers have to have all this great typeface and stuff like that. We would have never had that stuff without that. So I'm not discounting the fact you shouldn't go and get a good like breadth of learning. But when you find that thing and that joy part of it, go with it. Like I, from the time I was like seven, I was going to be a civil engineer. I took a Java, a Java course. I'm like, nope, going to be a programmer. That's all it takes. <laughs> yeah. It takes that one spark. Yeah. yeah. Completely. So back on topic again, yeah. teaching others to code requires a different uh, skill set than the just teaching yourself. So this is all kind of part of what we're talking about. Um, would you agree with that statement, which I think we've kind of covered, but how has that impacted you and impacted your teaching style? I think very much that the skill of teaching others and like the skill of learning uh, very much to, it has like two buckets of things. It's like very much a Venn diagram where there's an overlap, of course. Um, yeah. I think like for teaching people, the biggest skill that I, that anyone has to have is patience um, because 
like it might seem like ah yes you should understand this thing like after i tell it to you but like obviously that does not work if you remember like your own experiences in education like that's like you had to hear something maybe a few times you had to see it in different ways you even maybe been told something and it didn't click until very later on and i think that's the same truth with education is like when you teach somebody you have to recognize like you understand something already and you're trying to figure out how to make it make sense for them as opposed to like using only your perspective as the way that it makes sense I love that Venn diagram visual of that. Like I teach myself to code this way in this little circle. And then I teach other people in this circle. And there's going to be some like overlap there, but it may be a little piece of both. It may be a little piece of something else that somebody has. So there's another circle up there. So it's, yeah, I love that visual of that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important to like, not only for the individual to understand how they learn too, which took me a long time to figure Mm -hmm. out, but to help those individuals figure that out too. So maybe it's a a video course, maybe it's a written, you know, GitHub where they can just dive in and understand it. Like, I think like having all those different methods available to the user or, or to the person. um, I think that's really a big part of this too. That is a great point. And Everybody does learn differently, but not everyone knows how they learn. Like you said, like you have to figure out how you learn. And so providing different types of resources is probably going to be huge for that. Absolutely. Whether it's like sometimes it's in the form of like a reference sheet. Maybe that's also in forms of like just a video lesson, like all those different ways are so Like a cheat sheet, a written tutorial, a video, like everything Mm -hmm. Every type a lot of, of work. Yeah, it is a lot more work. But I mean, if you're providing value to your users. Exactly. Too. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. yeah and I, I think the the big pun if, if or joke of perfect.dev, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's related to the cat. But it, I always tell people, you don't have to be perfect to be perfect. So, and, and the reason I, I say that. that is you're trying to discover yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Like, don't come in and like, think you're like have to be perfect when you come out of this but you can go through that experience and my biggest way of learning is failing like I have to fail and hit my head and fail and then all of a sudden it's like oh yeah this is starting to hurt a little bit now I get what you know I, I need to pick up on and which pieces I need to pull in and the next time that should go a little easier I won't hit my head as many times so I love that um, and errors suck but if you get an error over and over again you're gonna realize what that error is yeah that one time and it's going to click. Yep. Yes. And, and teaching others how to, again, back to the like digger, or like showing them like, it's okay to fail because here's how you have to figure things out. Right. Where did that angular error just come from out of the middle of nowhere? What <laughs> module do I have to go find? Like teaching them how to hit that. I think it's important too. Often you'll get into tutorials and it just walks you through perfectly. And mm-hmm. then you're like, Oh no, I hit this spot and I'm stuck. That's where I like the live coding piece because often mm. you'll go through that too. You're like, oh man, I don't want to kill the next 20 minutes to figure this issue out, but let's walk through it together so someone might, you know, learn from this. Exactly. Some, I think that is like key. Uh, at least in my experience, um, uh, not seeing errors is actually a detriment to the learner, right? Like if I don't show you the errors, you don't know how to recover from them. Um, and so like, it's really important even like in my, at least in my experience, when I was teaching people how to do Ruby stuff, like I would f- actually naturally cause errors to come up um, because I would know like this is something you may see. I want you to not be afraid of seeing it because I want to explain how to read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, I think unless you guys have anything more specific on this whole learning journey that I'm forgetting... No, I think we covered pretty much everything. We made some great points about learning and teaching to learn. Yeah, I think then it's time to jump in the perfect picks. Let's do it. Prince, I believe I have yours open. I I have to get rid of this uh, Wikipedia of pedagogy. Pedagogy? (laughs) Pedagogy. I'm saying it wrong. (laughs) Pedagogy. There we go. We all said it. <laughs> um, yeah, move that off and share away. So your your first pick? Yes. So this is the Boot Campers uh, Boot Campers Guide to Web Accessibility by Lindsay Kopex. Uh, I highly recommend it as like 
opportunity to learn about web accessibility. I think like, once again, like I, I, I failed in many ways, uh, teaching people about accessibility in all the different capacities. And I think this is a great read. So that way you can be able to like understand like, why do we need to create accessibility accessible apps and then also to be able to kind of encourage and empower everyone to always bring that with them into their job that's awesome that's cool your second pick another one another accessibility but this one is by stephanie eccles um this is accessible cross browser css form styling uh forms are notoriously challenging for a lot of folk but they're getting, <laughs> they're, they're the most utilize interactive piece towards applications and like they deserve so much more love and so this course goes over how to make them accessible how to think about the different inputs and as well as like how to continue to make them look amazing because like that's awesome a lot of people think that accessibility or accessible things does don't look well and like that is a myth by so many degrees like yeah. everything can look good but it must most importantly be usable yeah. I think people often ask me, like, why would you use a pre like uh, a component library that's already done? And I'm like, because of this. Yeah. <laughs> like I can write forms all day and they're not going to come out as good as like angular material forms that are all like predefined and laid out for it. Your third pick. My like, last one. Very cool looking, by the way. Yes. This is Josh uh, Camo's uh, CSS4JS uh, developer web course. So this is a, a course that just launched in an early access uh, back on the beginning of the week. Uh, so March 10th, I believe. Oh, wait, March, beginning of last week. I am time it's is okay. We don't know when this podcast is coming out. So <laughs> we'll just say sometime in March. Sometime in March. Um, and so this has been an excellent course so far. And it does exactly what I talked about before with regards to how to uh, kind of interact with pedagogy into an online course where they give you great interactive examples, walk through, let you have even things like kind of like little quizzes and assessments. Highly recommend it for somebody who, who may not know how to do CSS. This course has been hugely popular so far. Mm -hmm. I did not know that you were taking this, but I've seen several people that are that have started taking this. And I yeah, I'm kind of excited about it. I should yeah. probably like pop up a. There we go. There's there there's the there's the. Dollar. This is the I, I got pre these lights. <laughs> So it, I think he's closing it after this week, and then he's not mm. opening it back up until, um, summer. Is that? I, I believe so. Actually. Okay. Yeah. So it may not be available at the time of the podcast, but um, it will be relaunching in summer. But it will be a higher price. Yes. Mm. Might have to send this out on Twitter, tell people to get on it. Yeah. But I, I think that like the most important things that I appreciate with Josh's like work is that he's all they're always making sure that they're thinking about it in terms of like how does the person who's reading this going what are they going to learn? Like how do they get something out of it? And like also trying to make sure that there's a lot of interactivity with it. Cause that's like the learning process is to interact with the things that you're learning. And I highly recommend it from there. Very cool. Yeah, great course. Brittany's pick which she kind of mentioned a little yeah we talked a little bit about toast earlier so it was originally written in javascript and he rewrote it in rust and we talked a little bit about that in the podcast but um, toast is a newer framework for the Jamstack, and it's focused on es modules and written in rust so you get those performance benefits and the garbage collection memory stuff with that and I would suggest going to check that out. And my second pick is actually a tutorial, little Dev.2 post about how to get started with toast. A bite of toast by Eco. Oh, guys, I'm so hungry right now. <laughs> it looks so good. It looks so delicious. For those yes. listening, it's yes. like blueberry with toast and maple and banana. Oh, mm. so looks delicious. Okay, my last two picks. One is a fun one. Uh, my son and I watched this together. Um, I was just <laughs> looking for something for us to hang out and do. Uh, it's called. It's by. It's a Netflix film called Yes Day, which I don't feel like I'll probably end up doing a Yes Day because it seems a little crazy to me. My son watched it the day it came out. He saw that it was on a new thing on Netflix. He watched it and then immediately asked me for a yes day. So Saturday we yeah. had a yes day in our house. 
Oh, how, many, how many things did you Alex. like kind of say? Uh, I don't know if I can say yes to. I still said no quite yeah. a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm all for like, I'm like can what we rephrase that question it? a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, wonderful movie. Like watch it with your kids. They'll enjoy it. He walked away. He's almost 12 and still said best movie I've ever seen. I'm like, oh, wow. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, my second pick, we use it almost every day um, in our admin side of our site. Um, it's Atlassian's Racked Beautiful D&D, which for, stands for Drag and Drop. Mm. It is a really well put together um, drag and drop utility that is built by Atlassian, obviously. And um, yeah, we use it. I, I could probably let's let's see if let's see if I have it. Maybe I love Should drag and drop stuff. Same. I think I have it running. Oops. Oops. I'm not logged in. Bear with me, folks at home. <laughs> Clicking the buttons. I'm doing the things. Okay. So for like our courses, we can drag in different lessons. Oh. And so you have like a list of lessons that you can mm -hmm. go through. This is our, our dev server, so things are compiling. I apologize for the slowness. Oh, um, but you can go into like our different sections, and you can create like a new oh. section, right? And then you go like this, and then you can drag and drop. <gasps> Love that! Look at that! Isn't that magical? So yeah, it's it's really cool. I, I love the package. It's very straightforward. It took me a minute because I, again, I'm not a React developer yet. I'll claim it one day. Um, so totally. it did take a little bit of knowledge to, to put it together, but awesome, awesome product that they have to put together there. There's some great, um, yeah, there's a great course on Egghead, as mm. we often talk about, with these amazing illustrations. I love them. Mm -hmm. Maggie Appleton does such a good job with those illustrations. It's amazing. So yeah, that's that's our show. Thank you so much, Prince, for uh, jumping on. I really appreciate it. We'll have to have you back on. I love talking about Rust and everything else you have going on. That was fantastic. Uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll look out for you probably in the Corgi area. I know Brittany spends a lot more time out there than I do, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll see you there. Yep. Good to see you. Take care. Bye.